Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles. The Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles and chapter number 29. The book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. For those of you who are still learning the books of the Bible, to give you some encouragement, we start at the very first of the book of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we begin with the historical books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So still <laughs> getting close to the middle part of your Bible, the book of 1st Chronicles and chapter number 29. The book of 1st Chronicles and chapter number 29. We've been in a series that we have just recently started of the life and ministry of Solomon. Solomon the historical king. And as we have been walking through, we've seen a little bit about Solomon's history, about his mother and his father, David and Bathsheba. That we discovered a little bit more about the promises that were given to him. And now we have come to the place where Solomon is now the king. David is still alive and they've already... um, (coughs) ordained Solomon as the king of Israel. And now we come to where David is still alive and he's going to make one final address to transition power, to transition the loyalty of the people from David to Solomon. And let's pick it up in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter number 29. The book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and we're going to start off <laughs> reading in verse number 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and in verse number 1 the Bible says this, furthermore David the king said to all the congregation, Solomon my son whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something that we find in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29? The book of 1 Chronicles 29, and notice with me in verse number 1, where it says, David said, to all the congregation. David said unto all the congregation. And with this, we're going to do a quick look at 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 1 Chronicles chapter 29 as David addresses the people and see the lessons that he is teaching the people one last time as he begins to transition the power from David to Solomon that David said unto the congregation. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God and thank you for whom you are. Thank you for the great teachers and workers meeting that we had. And now as we 
approach this passage here. We're asking that you would open up in a special way. That you would just put your hand upon it. That you would give us understanding. That you would give us wisdom. And that you would give us a willingness to follow after you. Lord, I know of my own self now that I don't have the physical or spiritual ability within myself. So the best I know how, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. And that any place that I'm unable or unwilling to yield to you, Lord, I give you permission to yield it on my behalf. So that way there would be nothing hindering the work, nothing hindering your message, nothing hindering from what you are working and trying to get accomplished to tonight in the lives of people. Lord, we're asking that you would have full reign and full liberty and that you would use this to draw us closer to you because of this historical event. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Based off the last description of David we had was a picture of David as an old man stuck in bed who couldn't even produce enough warmth of himself that he needed someone else to keep warm. And so with that last image you would almost imagine that David is calling people to his bedside. But that's not the case here. That what we find in the book of First Chronicles chapter number 28. Notice with me there. First Chronicles chapter number 28. Notice with me in verse 1. And David assembled the princes of Israel and the princes of the tribes of Israel. <laughs> and the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course. And the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds. And the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king. And of his sons with officers and with mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, hear me, my brethren and my people. So here we don't have David who's in bed, but David has assembled all the people. And if you can imagine the people assembled and now David has approached the stage, he stands up from wherever he was at. Maybe he was on a bed and they brought to the stage. Maybe it was sort of a wheelchair or chair. But now as he addresses, here's feeble David who comes up with one last strength, one last power. And he comes up and stands before the people with the purpose of addressing with the purpose of telling the people that they need to continue to look towards the Lord and support Solomon, the new ruler of Israel. Now in the previous chapters of First Chronicles, it lists everything that David had prepared and put together to make the kingdom still be willing to go forward and that the house of God should be prepared. That the book of First Chronicles takes chapter after chapter, these last previous chapters, to go ahead and discuss what David has done. In chapter 22, David prepares for the temple. In chapter 23, David prepares the Levites. Chapter 24, David prepares the priest. In chapter 25, David prepares the musicians. In chapter number 26, he prepares the gatekeepers. And in chapter 27, he prepares all of the civilian leadership. And now as he is coming and approaching in chapters 28 and 29, he's going to be addressing everything that needs to be done and everything that needs to happen for the work to continue. Now, what we find in the last parts of First Chronicles are some lessons we're not going to hit hard now, but just observing because every part of the Bible is important and every part teaches lessons. What do we learn from these chapters 22 through 27? We learn the important lessons that details matter. 
that God goes through very great detail. We see preparation matters. And all those chapters after chapter after chapter was all the preparatory work that was necessary to make sure the job was done. And we also see obedience to the word of God matters. These are the lessons that we learn through these chapters of uh, First Chronicles. As David has now given his life to make sure the work of God continues. He's given his life to make sure that the things that God has given him is going to be accomplished. That he has gone through the details. He's gone through the preparation. And he's made sure the word of God has been obedient. And now we come to First Chronicles chapter 28. As David now approaches the people. We see an interesting statement. May I read the statement to you and then we'll get exactly to the message. But notice with me in 1 Chronicles 28. And if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 4. 1 Chronicles 28. Notice with me verse 4. We're going to read through here and at the end of it, it's going to have a statement. Notice in verse 4, Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah and the house of my father. And among all the sons of my father, he, remember pronouns are important. Who's this he? That's God. He liked me. He liked me me to be king over all of Israel. Now, the first thing we want to hit here as we examine chapter 28 is why God liked David. Why God liked David. This word like here carries the idea that God likes him with the idea that God has put his favor upon him. That we know that God loves all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus Christ died for your sins and he died for mine. He died so anyone and everyone could be forgiven of their sins and be guaranteed a home in heaven. That God loves all people. It doesn't matter who you are. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves everyone. There's not a single person he would not save if that person wouldn't come up to him and receive that gift. But did you know that God does like some people more than others? <gasps> we're not supposed to say that in our society. That we're supposed to have everyone that was equal and everyone's the same. But did you know that God does like some people more than others? I didn't say love. He loves everybody. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. But God does like some people more than others. That's true of you. You have people in your family that you love, but you don't want to go on vacation with. But there are some people that God likes more than others. And that's what David just said. That God liked David. God does have favorites. You read through the Bible, you could see that. There are some favorites that God has. <gasps> We're not supposed to have favorites. Well, you go take that up with the Lord, but there are some people that God likes more, that he has some favorites. So what is it that made God like David more? Well, if you don't mind, I like to run through as David gives this account here. And let's learn what is it that God likes. What is it that God likes in a man, in a person? 
First of all, we see God likes a man who follows the Bible and not his heart. God likes a man who follows the Bible and not his heart. Notice with me in verse number 2. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 2. Then David the king stood up on his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had it in mine heart to build the house for the rest, for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and for the footstool of our God, and hath made ready for the building. But God said to me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and has shed blood. Now this is a big deal. David said in verse 2 that I had something in my heart to do. I wanted to do something. I wanted to do something that was good. I want to build a house for God where the Ark of the Covenant can rest. I want to build a permanent dwelling place where people can know that the presence of God is among us. That's what I, I had this in my heart to do. But God told me no. God told me no. Now normally, the response to this is to throw a fit. But this is what's in my heart to do. But this is what I want to do. And God said no. And David said, all right, your way, not my way. Why could David say that? Because we understand there's a principle that your heart is wicked. And desperately so. It is deceitful. It will lie to you. And there are some times that there may be some things on your heart that may not be what God has given you to do. That's why we need to stick with the Bible. That we don't need to hear a message from someone's heart. We need to see what the Bible has to say about the matter. What does the Bible have to say about the matter? And we know that when it comes to the heart, that oftentimes it's an emotional attachment. And because you have an emotional attachment, it becomes even harder to depend upon the Bible because you like that emotion in there too. I remember several years ago in a different place, some lady came up and said, Pastor, I know I've never been to the church before and this is my first time here, but God has laid it on my heart to sing a song for you. And my answer was, no. <laughs> Why? I don't know who this person is. I mean, <laughs> they could be some crazy person for all I know. They could be on church discipline from someone else. They, they might not even be saved. I mean, there were some things in there. And so I said no. And so, you know what happened? You expect the lady to sit down, hands it in, look, smile, ready for the service? Nope. Through the fit. I can't believe you would hold me back. I can't believe God put it in my heart. Cool. <laughs> not here <laughs> but you understand I'm giving a situation that happened but we could throw our own fit this is what I want to do but God said something different I don't care it's what I want to do you know God likes a man who's willing to follow the Bible instead of his heart what does the Bible have to say about this David was a good example now <laughs> Hey, everyone's on board. It wasn't that David was asking for something sinful. It wasn't that he was something that was dishonoring to God. He was very honoring to God. So much that he was having lunch with a preacher, Nathan the prophet. And he said, hey Nathan, I just had a good idea. 
What if we built a permanent structure here for the Ark of the Covenant and build it here? I mean, doesn't that sound good? Nathan said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And Nathan goes out. He's all excited. Man, that's good. Nathan, you should do that. And in the middle of the night, God says, hey, Nathan, I don't want David to go do that. Go tell him no. I mean, Nathan was so excited. It was such a good thing. He didn't even pray about it. He was just, he just sounded like a good idea. And Nathan said, hey, sorry, David, uh, God said no. David didn't throw a fit. He said, okay, no problem. If that's what God wants, that's what God gets. <laughs> the wonderful thing is, is that he didn't throw a fit and say, fine, if God doesn't want me to do anything, then just, I'm not going to do anything anymore. He said, no, no. God said that my son's going to do it. So guess what I'm going to do? I can't put it together, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure Solomon can. And he prepared for it. God likes someone who's willing to follow the Bible rather than their heart. There's a second thing that we see here as David says. That God also likes a man who never forgets how great God is. That God likes a man who never forgets how great God is. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 2. Once again, David says, that David the king stood up on his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, my people. And as for me, I had it in my heart to build a house for, of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now you remember the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was something that God had put together back in Exodus for the idea that it was supposed to be the representation of the presence of God. Now all it was was a picture. It wasn't the presence of God, but it was a picture that God's presence was there. And David wanted to build a house so that way it could rest. It didn't have to travel anymore somewhere where it could permanently dwell. Notice what he said the Ark of the Covenant was. And a house for rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool. For the footstool of our God. A footstool is somewhere where the feet can rest. Now remember, David is going to put together all the things and prepare. His life has been given. The latter part of his life has been given for one thing. Preparation for the temple. And David is saying, you know what? The biggest thing in my life is just a footstool to God. That the biggest thing I want to see done, the thing I've poured my life to, my God is so big it's nothing but a footstool to Him. My God is that big. Do you know that there are three different times in the Word of God where the Ark of the Covenant is called the footstool? Three different times. That's a big deal. That remember, the Ark of the Covenant is not the presence of God. It's just a picture of God. But God is so big, you can't fit him into a building. You can't cram him in there, get a crowbar, shoehorn him in there. God's bigger than that. You know how big God is? God created time. How big is God? That all of time, all of history, the timeline of history fits in the palm of his hand. That's a big God. And we need to remember that we have a big God who's bigger than anything we could face. Bigger than anything that we could do. We could give our life to something very big and very important and it still be small next to God. It's the God that we serve. What a big 
God. Notice as he goes on in verse number 3. But God said to me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and shed blood. Howbeit, the God of Israel chose me before the house of my father to be king forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be ruler, and the house of Judah, and the house of my father among the sons of my father. He likened me to be king over Israel. And of my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons, he hath chosen Solomon my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord forever. And he said to me, Solomon thy son shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, and he will be if he will be constant to do my commandments and do my judgments as it is this day. Now therefore in the sight of Israel and the congregation of the Lord and in the audience of our God. Notice he says God's listening to this message too. God is there. Keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. He's saying, listen, we got a big God. Our God doesn't have a temporary reign. Our God sees everything. He knows the future. He knows everything. He has put us in charge. He's the one that's chosen. He's that big to choose. He's that big to pick what needs to happen. He's that big of a God. We have a great God. Who is big and mighty and powerful. God likes a man who obeys the Bible rather than his heart. God likes a man who never forgets how great God is. Something else that we see here as David goes on. God likes a man who pours his life into the work of God. God likes a man who pours his life into the work of God. You know, there wasn't a single thing that David missed in preparing for the pattern that God had given to him. Notice with me in verse number 9. Verse number 9. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know that thou, God, uh, the God of my father, shall serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all the hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern for the porch and of the houses thereof, and of the treasures thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and the inner parlors thereof, and of the place of the mercy seat, and the pattern of all that that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, and all the chambers round about, and the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries of the dedicated things, and also for the courses, or how the priests are supposed to operate, how their turns, the courses of the priest, and the Levites, and all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of the service in the house of the Lord God. He gave of gold of weight for things of gold for all instruments in the manner of service and silver for all of the instruments of silver by weight and all of the instruments for every kind of service, even the weight for the candlesticks of the gold. And it goes on and gives all the details all the way up to verse number 19. 
All this, said David, the Lord hath given me understanding in writing by his hand upon me, even the works of this pattern. As you can see, there are so many details that are given across here. And that what we see is that David made sure that everything was delivered just like God had given to him. And that he prepared and he worked with all of his might. We see that in First Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 2. That David, he prepared and worked everything with all of his might. That God likes a man, a person, who will pour himself into the work of God. And that's exactly what David had did. Poured himself into the work of God. We see something else. Why did God like David? David likes a man who loves, who loves the house of God. God likes a man, a person who loves the house of God. Now when you examine this, notice with me in, um, in verse number 29, or chapter 29 in verse number 2. Chapter 29 in verse 2. Now I have prepared with all my might, there we go again, for the house of my God, the gold for the things made to be of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the brass for the things of brass, and the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, and onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colors, and of manners of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Notice, in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection... To the house of my God. Notice as he loved God's house. And he says because I loved it. I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver. Which I have given to the house of my God over and above. The things that I prepared for the holy place. Notice this in verse 4. Even 3,000 talents of gold. And of the gold of Ophir, and the 7,000 talents of refined silver, and to overlay the walls and the houses thereof. I'll give the definition to these a little bit later. But do you understand here that when David is talking about in chapter 28 and chapter 29, that David has given 20, or sorry, not 20, I need another zero, 200 billion B. 200 billion dollars worth of gold and silver for the temple. That's a lot. 200 billion in today's economy. Well, used to be 10 years back economy. Who knows what it is now? That's a lot. That David has given all of this money. He has poured himself. Why? Because he loved what God loved. He loved God's house. We know that there are three things in the Bible that are called the house of God. There's the temple, there's the tabernacle, and in the New Testament, it is the local New Testament church, which is called the house of God. And God likes a man who loves the house of God. And if you love something, you have no problems given for it. So we see in chapter 28... Why God liked David. And we went through here that God likes a man who likes the things that God loves. God likes a man who sees God as great. God likes a man who obeys the Bible rather than his heart. God likes a man who loves the house of God. God likes a man who is willing to pour his life into the work of God. And that we could be liked of God. 
But as we come to chapter 29, we find something else. What do we see here? Who is willing to help? Who is willing to help? In chapter 29, seven different times, you'll find the word willing. God has placed a great emphasis on this chapter. Now remember, David has now come up and he stood up before the crowd with his old feeble body. And he's addressing, listen here, let me tell you the things that we've done to prepare the work. Now I'm going to die, but the work must go on. And Solomon's the one who's going to be doing the work. And this is a great work. This is an important work. This is the work of God. This is what God wants to have happen. And Solomon's going to lead the charge. Now David now addresses the crowd and says, who is willing? Who is willing to help? Who is willing to serve? Who is willing to follow the Lord? Who is willing to go? Notice we learn a couple different things about willing people in chapter 29. There are some things about willing people. First of all, willing people understand the work is great. Willing people understand the work is great. Notice with me in chapter 29 and verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. He says, listen, we're going to build a a temple. And let me tell you, this temple is not for man. This is for God. And because it's for God, the work is great. It's bigger than one man. We need more people to be joining with us. More people. We, Solomon, as wise as he is, and as wealthy as he is, cannot do the work alone. We need willing people to help. For the work is great. We know in the New Testament, God has given us some orders. He's given us some instructions, which is called the Great Commission. To go out into all the world and to teach all nations. We're supposed to see them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Encourage them to join a local church. And to disciple them and teach them how to be obedient to the Lord. And follow His instructions and do the same thing. The miracle of multiplication. And the reason why He gives that great work is because the work is greater than us. You know, one person, even as motivated as one person can be, cannot get the work done by himself. The work is greater than any one of us. And the work is great. And we need people who are willing to join along with us. And willing people understand that the work is great. That they have a part to play. Who is willing? Because the work is great. Something else that we understand about willing people is that willing people work with all their might. Willing people work with all their might. Notice with me in chapter 2. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for the things that have gold and silver and silver. And notice as it goes on, he gives all the things in verse number 5. And gold for the things of gold and the silver for the things of silver. And for all manner of work to be made by the hands of the artificers. Who then is willing to consecrate his service this day to the Lord. In verse number 4, we have a list of all the gold and silver that's just to be overlaid. Now, this isn't what's going to be um, going to be placed inside of the temple. 
These are the plates of gold that are going to cover the outside of the temple. You understand that Solomon's temple is considered one of the seven ancient wonders of or seven great wonders of the ancient world. That it's up with the pyramids. It's how wondrous it was. It was built on one of the highest hills in the land. And it was made so it was plated with, with pure gold. So when someone was walking to Jerusalem, they would see the sun glinting from the gold. And it would be an image, a reminder of the presence of God. It was made so even coming to Jerusalem, you were thinking about God and His glory and His might and His power. And in order to get this done, they had built this fantastic, huge building but they put gold plates around it. And just to put the gold plates around it. Notice what it said in verse number 4. 3,000 talents of gold. A talent was to be equivalent to be about 75 pounds. And so if you multiply that and calculate that. Just the gold in economy of a couple months or years ago. Is five. billion dollars. That's just on the outside. That's not what's covering in the inside of the building. This is on the outside. For the silver, it would be $151 million in just silver that's put on the overlay. That's not what's covering in the inside. This is just what we coat it with. This is what we panel it with. This is what's just on the outside. In addition... All together, the stuff in 1 Chronicles 28 and the 1 Chronicles 29, all together, as I've given this number before, 200 billion, B, billion dollars of wealth was given to this building. When David said, I gave of all my might, he meant it. He gave of all of his strength. He gave everything that he could because willing people understand you work with all your might. We see something else here. Willing people do so because they love the Lord. Willing people do so because they love the Lord. Notice with me again in verse number 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of God over and above all that I prepared for the holy house. You set your affection On the house of my God. Because I love God. Now with that let's look to the New Testament principle on this. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We understand that the love of God is not just a good motivator. It is the best motivator. The Bible speaks about this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church and explaining all the things that he went through. And if you can imagine the Apostle Paul as he had been beaten, shipwrecked, as he had been withdrawn for food, as he had put in jail, beaten, abused, neglected, all of these things. Paul, why would you keep going? Why do you take another step? Why do you wake up in the morning? You see how much pain you're in. Paul was so much pain he had to have a full-time doctor traveling around with him just to keep him operating, just to keep him moving to keep them functioning. Paul, how can you keep going? Why don't you quit? Well, he gives the answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
the love of Christ constraineth us. The word constraineth carries the idea to wrap around. And my mind always thinking of a big hug. The love of Christ constraineth me. I can't get over how much Christ loved me. And you understand that's the best motivator. An old missionary, one of the greatest event missionaries of yesteryear, Hudson Taylor, the famed missionary, was interviewing several prospects to go to the mission field. When he asked them why they wanted to go, he asked the, the group, the prospects, people who wanted to be missionaries, he said, why do you want to go? Well, they took their turn by course and they gave answers. I want to go because I want to see people saved. I want to go because people are dying and go to hell. I'm going because I want people to know who Jesus is. And he gave them answers and all of them gave answers as such. Well, Hudson Taylor, the elderly preacher, studied them for a while and paused and was just quiet. After a little bit, he looks and says, Your reasons are good, but I'm afraid in times of great testing... Those motives will fail you. The only motive that will keep you going is that of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth you. There are going to be times that you go out and the people don't like you. You're going to go out and people don't want you. You're going to go out there and people will hate you. How can you keep serving a people that, that hate you? How can you keep serving when people are, don't want to listen? How can you keep serving a people that don't want to obey? You understand if you're going for the people, your reasons will fail. And you'll pack up and you'll go home. The reason why you go out, the reason why you serve is because of the love of God constraineth you. That should be our great motive for anything that we do. Why do we teach a class? Because of the love of Christ. Why do we go soul winning? Because of the love of Christ. Why do we keep giving? Because of the love of Christ. We understand that Christ loved us so much. He died on the cross for... He didn't have to. Jesus wasn't put up on the cross. He chose to. Think about what great love. Think about you. Would you be willing to die for someone? Would you be willing to go to the electric chair for someone who deserved it? Jesus did. Jesus who knew no sin. In fact, notice with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Notice with me in verse 21, which some people say the greatest theological verse in all of the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, this is Jesus, or for God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, Jesus. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all fallen sin and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That because you and I have sinned. Now what's a sin, preacher? A sin is anything that we've done against God. For example, we have in the Bible the Ten Commandments. Inside of the Ten Commandments it says, thou shalt not bear false witness. We would say it this way, don't tell lies. Well, how many of you would be honest and say, preacher, I've told a lie before? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Every one of us have told lies. We've broken God's commandment. We have sinned. For the wages of sin is death. 
The Bible says in the Ten Commandments to honor thy father and thy mother. Well, if you've ever disobeyed your folks just once, you have sinned. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That you and I all owe God a great price. We owe the great price of death. But listen, it's not good to pay that price. Jesus, who is God, robed himself in flesh and stepped from the glories of heaven and lived on this earth, lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay that wage, to pay that payment, to pay that death for you so you wouldn't have to. Why would he do such a thing? For God so loved the world. Because he loved you. He loved you. He was willing to suffer a horrible death because he loved you. The wonderful thing is that he didn't stay dead. On the third day he rose again and he lives forevermore. It says that in verse 15, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 15, that he that, di- <laughs> and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That Jesus was put on a borrowed tomb. And on the third day he rose again. When he rose again the third day it proved two things. It proved that Jesus indeed was God. And that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. He died on the cross to pay for you. And to pay for me. And he did it because he loved us. When you think about that type of love. You shouldn't get away from it. When you think about how much he loved you, we think of how unreasonable we are. They say, listen, I don't want to go to church. You're unreasonable. The Bible says in Romans 12, chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. To live for the Lord You know what it says? You're just being reasonable. When you show up to church, you're not doing anything fantastic. You're not doing anything out of the ordinary. You're just doing something reasonable. When you are reading your Bible and trying to read it, you're not wasting your time and you're not doing something tremendous where all of heaven's going, you're just doing something reasonable. When you decide that you're going to pray and talk to the Lord. You haven't done some great thing. You've done something reasonable. When you decide that you are going to be obedient to the Lord. And give your tithe. You haven't done some great thing. There's no such thing where you put it in there. And you're expecting trumpets and people to say. Listen here. The biggest giver for today is. You're just doing something reasonable. When you go tell someone about Jesus Christ and you tell them and invite them to come to church, you haven't done some great thing. You've done something reasonable. You understand? When we look at how Christ did for us and he did it because he loved us, not because he had to, he chose to. Then we look at our service and say, guess what? All I'm doing is being reasonable. When I give my life to him, when I take my time to show up to church, when I take my time to give, when I pour my life, when David, everything that David did, David said, guess what? I'm just being reasonable. 
just being reasonable. Well, if we look at David and we see how much that God liked David. And when David turns around and asks if there's anyone willing, and seven times he speaks about, are you willing? And he explains about willing people. What he's also telling him is that everything that I've done isn't extraordinary. The money that I gave isn't just big eye-opener. I'm telling you all I've done was be reasonable. Because of the love of Christ constraineth me. The love of Christ constraineth me. So the question is a twofold question. First of all, are you willing or are you unreasonable? Are you willing or are you unreasonable? Maybe there's another question that we need to ask before all of that. And that is, are you 100% sure if you were to die today, are you 100%, not 75, not 50, not 95, not 99, are you 100% sure from the Bible that your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven? If not, dear friend, let me tell you the greatest thing that you could do today is respond to the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. And there's nothing magical about the altars. They just give us a chance to respond to God. And in a moment, when we give an invitation, there are going to be other people who are going to come. And they're going to pray and they're going to talk to the Lord. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I invite you to come get my attention. And I'd love to take someone with an open Bible to show you without a doubt how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that you are promised a home in heaven. It'd be our privilege to show you that. And we would love for you to know. For those of you who are saved, you know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. May I ask you, are you living a reasonable life? Or is it unreasonable? Why? Because of the love of Christ. The love of Christ. If the love of Christ constraineth you, then let me ask you, are you willing? There is a great work to do and God has a lot of things he wants to get accomplished. And it's bigger than one person and it's bigger than a small group of people. God needs everyone involved and he has a place for everyone. And God wants to use you and God wants to use me. Are you willing? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.